Welcome to Porsche Club Insider. We are at the podcast studio at 5 North Main. Thanks to the folks at Coffee Bel Air. We're enjoying our nice <clears throat> cup of joe. We've got a couple of people here, and we've already been laughing quite a bit, so it should be a fun time today. The Insider crew, I'm your host, Vu Gwen, PCA's Executive Director. We've got PCA's Technical Director, Manny Albin. Rob Sass, who's back from a fun trip. Uh, Porsche Panorama Editor, Damon Lowney, Digital Media Coordinator, and I think this is the first time that we've had a pro driver on the podcast. Am I right? <laughs> if you use the little air quotes, uh, yes. air quotes, yeah. <laughs> pro that's, driver. That's a big air he's, quote. He's, he's definitely a, a poster child for PCA because he really got all this started or kicked off through his membership uh, in PCA. Special guest, Bob Miller from At Speed Motors. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Phil. So Great to be here. This is a very serious conversation, as you can probably tell from our uh, shenanigans <laughs> just a few minutes ago. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know that we can talk about it, but Bob has managed to trigger Damon. <laughs> he it's, brought it's, up it's a very sensitive yeah. uh, subject a in mutual, the past. Mutual acquaintance. Uh, a mutual acquaintance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, we've had some trips. Uh, Rob has had some trips. Bob's going to share with us. Uh, some of his uh, cars from his collection, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about One Mile Review. We've got lots of Porsche news, recent videos that uh, we can talk about. Uh, who wants to kick it off? Manny. Well, why don't you tell us about your, uh, since you've been going everywhere for the past month, but you actually got to visit the uh, famous Malibu Cars and Coffee that we always hear about. I did. I did. It was a... Uh, so I was out in Southern California for a, uh, a wedding, but uh, as all of us, you know, when we go on family trips, we try to carve out a little bit of time to do something car related. And so uh, Ilko Nechev, our advertising director who lives in San Diego, he said, hey, if you happen to have some time, I'll swing by and pick you up and we'll, we'll hit some cars and coffee on Sunday morning. So I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's like I've been on the road quite a bit and, and uh yeah, do I ask that question? But luckily, was your wife out with you? She was. That's oh, why yeah, the whole family was with me. So you were you were relationship boo that week. I was relationship boo. Good thing about cars and coffee, as you all know, is it's pretty early, right? So the wedding was Saturday night. So I'm thinking they're gonna sleep in most of Sunday. So I can I can do cars and coffee. We actually did two that morning. We did the one up at the observatory, Griffith. Is it Griffith Observatory? Went up there first, thinking and that was the earlier one, and uh, I, you know, I could probably get back in time for that one. But I kind of stretched it, and he said, well, you know, we gotta try to get over to Malibu as well. But Malibu doesn't open. I, like I've never had this before, where the cars and coffee location is actually like roped off or blocked off until ten o'clock. So timeline wise, it, it wasn't looking like it was gonna work very well for the family. But I was like, you know me, we're just gonna. See if we can show up and see what happens. So we right, get there you, like nine forty-five. You've got to you've got to tell us because everybody's <laughs> wondering what car did you show up in? Oh, a proper vehicle, a GT3 RS. Ah, yes. excellent. Right. Yes, and so we get there at like nine thirty-five or so, and of course everything's blocked off. But you can see almost like sharks circling their prey, like all these like collector cars and exotics kind of circling waiting for for the the, the gates to open and uh so we're like what do we do now and uh, ilko's like well if you want we can just kind of head up into the canyons and go for a drive 
Oh man, getting to drive a GT3 RS <laughs> in the king is at you know reasonable speeds. No one was up there. Um, man, uh, thanks to Ilko, dude, that car is amazing, and uh, don't ever get rid of it. But we we come back and now it's like 10:05, and we missed it by like five minutes. It's completely packed, and uh, lucky enough, we we go in there and. There was a certain like flow that people were circling around that was gridlocked and we went another direction and happened to get a parking space and we got out and it's just like what you see on, you know, in the, in the YouTube videos and what people talk, it was just, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, Jay Leno was there. Uh, Seinfeld was there. Spike was there. Lieberman was there. And there's like a special area where they kind of park their cars and then kind of the masses, but it is surprisingly small. Like, I didn't realize how small it was because it's hard to tell. Yeah. How many you're cars? Looking in the videos. How many cars were there? Um, you know, in that little parking lot area, I would say if there was a hundred, that would be a lot. Like, it's not like our, you know, our lo yeah. local cars and coffee will draw, what, 500, 600 cars at, at Hunt Valley. Right. But, I mean, the quality of cars, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, so the insurance companies are all sort of shaking in their boots if there's a earthquake or uh, you know. I don't you know everyone was quite laid back no, and, I'm just uh, talking about all these cars disappearing oh, into the ground <laughs> yeah uh, you know everyone was there having fun really cool cars I think we talked about some like rare cars that uh, you don't normally see or that have kind of disappeared I mean there's and, and there was a good good mix as well so um saw Jay from a, a distance and of course there was a crowd around him I guess who's who I don't think the facility there actually likes it because, I mean, it's a small parking lot for a lot of different shops. And I would probably guess that most of the people there aren't there to shop. Starbucks was probably doing a killer business, but everybody else, this was probably a pain in their behind. Do you wish you would have dyed your hair blue before that? <laughs> oh, you're going to bring it up. <laughs> Did you notice that, right? No, you, you don't notice. Oh, I noticed. I wasn't going to say you really? anything. Of course not. You didn't? I'm a special guest. I'm not supposed to say anything. <laughs> All right. So for those of you who are listening or watching, so I had the bright idea of uh, four Porsche parades. You know, I'm so proud of Club Blau, the color that was created for PCA by Porsche that I thought, you know what? Why not try to add a little bit of Club Blau to my hair? And uh, one of our staffers. And, and maybe at the same time, get rid of my gray hair. There you go. Exactly. Well, Manny. So, so Manny. Chrissy, who, who works in member services, I think every week she comes in with a different color hair style. So I'm like, Chrissy, what's it take? Because I've obviously never done this before. She said, oh, she got all excited. She's like, yeah, it's easy. You'll need this, this, and this. And so it, it, was, an, it was a question initially, but then it became, are you going to actually do it? And would it look okay? And it's it's something different so it's it's dyed right now it is but inside you can't really tell because no, my hair is black, i can't tell right? at all yeah but when you go out in the sun you want to know what oh, we do we at go. pca yeah looks like a barber shop yeah. <laughs> all right all right all right all right so that's, anyways that's really nice. um so that's i don't know how long it will last that'll be interesting uh manny and i dyed our hair by the way blue as well this is what happened so so he made I fun of my me skin so, color he made fun of me so much like that night i had a dream he actually did his hair too and i was like thanks man thanks for the support i'm glad you did it <laughs> if i had if i had hair i would do it <laughs> there you go mr sass speaking of wonderful hair <laughs> yes how was your trip 
my trip. Yeah. Uh, the trip was fantastic. What do you want to know? Uh, what can you tell uh, us? Well, I can't tell you how the 992 Sport Classic drove until mid-July. Wait a minute. But did, I you know, did you know you were going to drive a Sport Classic? Yeah. Yeah. We, like, a, a little bit beforehand, they let us know. It is, <sighs> I can tell you, it is fantastic looking. Um, probably, you know, the best looking 911 interior since the, the 1 millionth, uh, 911 from, uh, I think 2018, just, you know, absolutely gorgeous, totally unique body. Obviously it's a turbo S wide body without the side intakes, um, rear wheel drive, seven speed, 550 horsepower. Oh. You've heard all this before, yes. but, uh, you know, utterly drool worthy specs and it looks great. And, uh, you know, getting to see it in the light in sport gray metallic, which is a color that should be very well known to you, Vu. Absolutely. Tell our, us why. Our classic club coupe had that shade. And we knew about this color before the release of the sport classic. So we had to yes. keep that hush hush for a while. How cool is that connection? I, I thought that was just fantastic. So uh, center lock Fuchs, which I think are, are unique to the car. First time they've done that, I think. Um, just absolutely a spectacular looking car, carbon fiber, uh, trunk lid, roof, uh, double bubble roof. It, it just, you know, when people see it, they're going to go just absolutely ape, well, uh, nuts for the, the car. <laughs> <laughs> good, good job catching yourself. You know, the, uh, yeah, but we're, we're going to get a lot of heat all that often. We're going to get a lot of heat mail and, and PCA has gotten this, like we're not in control of it. Oh, because it's not available? Not available. Yeah. Allocations. Are, yeah. yeah, we have no control over yes. allocations. Don't call me and wondering if I can get you an allocation. Otherwise, Manny <laughs> would sell the house and <laughs> be on the line for some kind of special car. I can't wait for all three cars to be together. Like, that would be so cool. Can you put that well, together? They also, they also had a 997 Sport Classic available to drive, too. So, so. Um, that's not embargoed, obviously. And uh, there was a 964 Carrera RS. And a pair of two seven RSs, one lightweight and one touring. So uh, it was just a fantastic mix of cars. So you can talk about the uh, Carrera RSs and the yeah. original yeah, Sport Classic, but not the uh... yeah, yeah. No, the the first thing that they they put me in was a, a two seven RS uh, touring. I had a seventy two two four S for a long time, so I was really really curious about the differences, how the car drove. It was basically. It reminded me a lot of that 2.4 RS, just brought to absolute perfection. I didn't find it quite as, as peaky or as cammy as the 2.4, probably owing to the fact that, you know, it had 300 cc's more. Um, Bob, you'd know, but I think the 2.4 S was rated at 180, and uh, the 2.7 RS is yeah, 190. Okay. And 2.10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, wasn't there like a, there was like an SAE net to gross thing there too because I've, I've seen i think i've seen the the 24s rated as high as 200 but i think that was before they switched from uh gross to net horse is that yeah uh, i mean again back yeah. and forth so you just have to you know do apples to apples that's yeah um yeah but it was it was a delightful car to drive uh, i you know oddly enough the seats i thought were absolutely wonderful you know unlike modern sports seats which are fairly unyielding in both the bolstering and and the um uh, the cushions, the bolstering was was pretty aggressive and pretty firm, but the cushions were really like this this kind of puffy corduroy that that almost you know reminded me a little bit of of like those those god awful Furman seats just in terms of of how cushy it was. So I mean it was a really comfortable car to drive. 
Um, I think the curb weight is somewhere around 1,985 pounds, just under a ton. And, uh, you know, it's For, just, it's which car, Rob? the, the, uh, uh, the touring, the lightweight shaves about, uh, 150 pounds off that 75 kg. So I think we're, yeah, the, we're talking about 2000 pounds the, for the touring. The touring's roughly 2200. Um, or, yeah. Yeah. And the lightweight's about 80 or so pounds lighter than that. Um, yeah. cause remember your, your two, four was 2349. And uh, <laughs> I like how we have instant fact checking. Yeah, well, that, that's, yeah that's, that's fantastic. Right. Uh, li- listen, man, you, you've got a lot of cars in your head, so there's no way to keep all that stuff. But yeah, roughly the touring just figure plus or minus about 2200. Mm. Yeah. I literally so, wrote and- an article yesterday uh, for, for, for PCA tech tips about 10 reasons why we love the 73 RS. So it's fresh in my head. And I think they tested it at twenty three twelve. Okay, with the half a tank of gas. Yeah, sounds the, about, about uh, for the right. touring model. Sure. Um, and did you know what? the uh, Manny? Eight, do you it, use eight pounds a gallon? Is it roughly? I think six and a half. Is it? Well, it's, I guess it depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No One wonder of the things that I remember won. about the two four S that I had was it was it was a pretty cami car at about four thousand to forty five hundred RPMs. The you know the entire character of the car changed. The sound changed. Uh, everything. I didn't find that. To, I mean, the car, the the 27RS certainly in, uh, came alive above 4,000, 4,500 RPMs, but it wasn't quite the pronounced difference that I remember in, in my 2.4 liter S. And Bob, what are your thoughts? I mean, again, Rob, they made a lot of subtle changes. And so they got most of the power out of just increasing displacement. And then they got a lot of that visceral feel just by shaving off weight everywhere. So the goal of it wasn't really to come up with a completely new engine. It was, let's put this whole kit and caboodle together and make it just even better than what you had in the 2.4. And and when you drove it, I mean, it's not like it's a turbocharged car. No, it's it's not like night and day. in, In a little bit everywhere. Right. And that's what I thought. It's incrementally better in just about every way. It's slightly torquier because it's got, you know, 300 cc's more displacement. Um, you know, it's got 20 horsepower more. But it, it uh, you know, if you think about the price deltas between a 27RS and a 2.4 liter S, you know, it makes a good 2.4S, even at close to $200,000, seem like just a huge bargain. So when I was writing this article, two things really stuck out of my head was, uh, of course, Porsche being conservative was very worried that they wouldn't even sell 500 to make a homogulation right, sure. for a group four. Right. And so uh, they were worried about selling 10. So they, they told all their executives that were uh, eligible for this type of car, a company car that they were ordering this car, not 911 S they had to order an RS just to pad the numbers to try to, you know, and uh, imagine that your boss saying you yeah. have to order. No, this no, no, so, no, I don't want to. So the, uh, the, uh, Ducktail, which was you know, debuted on this car, was very controversial because um, there was regulations at the time, uh, road regulations that said uh, anything sharp or that sticks out isn't allowed, and so um, they said this probably won't pass for road regulations. And this is in Germany. In Germany, yes. Yeah. So Porsche, because the car they knew would not make it to the U.S., mm. so that that's another reason why they were worried about selling them because now they're. U.S. markets taken out of the equation. It's mm-hmm. only going to be European. So with the tail, 
are trying to figure out how do we uh how do we get this approved and uh they found out that if they registered the cars individually at the local local uh, Stuttgart office or Dufenhausen office um no problem they would just sign off and say yeah good to go but if they took it to the uh, main office of their, their their DMV then they would inspect it and probably not oh, approve it. Really? but they could only do that for up to a thousand cars it was some like loophole in the rules <laughs> and uh once again, not thinking that they're going to sell, hopefully, maybe 500. Well, it turns out, of course, it's a sales success. And yeah, you know, for Rob's video, we uh, we learned about the different, um, you know, they went 500 and 1,000 and then mm-hmm. the, the last run series, I guess. And so after they hit 1,000, they could no longer do this little loophole. So then they were like, well, how are we going to get the last 520, 40 left? 580. Yeah. And um, they took the tail off. Really? Yep, and you could buy the tail separately. Huh. And then uh, they would, it, would, it would all be approved because it's already the regular uh, deck lid. So that was a little uh, So So, trivia. Rob, what was the, I mean, the whole reason to bring the journalists there and to drive all these cars? It was the 50th anniversary of the, the 27RS. And, and we tend to mark anniversaries by model year in this country. They tend to do it by motor show introductions. So... Um, they are celebrating it from 1972 to 2022, where we might think of it as a 1973 model year car with an anniversary next year. So that was the reason for doing it. You know, obviously they wanted us to all get behind the wheel of the sport classic, but, uh, the, the, the other car that was there was a 964 RS, another car that obviously Bob and Manny know a lot better than I do. And I, I guess I had sort of the disadvantage of driving that car, right after the 27RS lightweight. And, um, you know, I, I love the car. It was great to drive. Um, uh, uh, the alloy flywheel made the car feel just uh, extraordinarily revvy. But um, on the roads that we were on, which were kind of low-speed roads with a lot of, 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 you know, kind of hairpins, the manual steering obviously didn't feel anywhere near as light as it did in the, the pair of 27 cars. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so having uh, just driven Manny's 964 Carrera 2 for a one-mile review, um, and in the past having driven my uncle's old RS America, uh, those were the only two 964s I drove. I actually prefer the power steering in Manny's car to the manual steering in the RS America for at least driving around the road on a back road. Hmm. It's yeah. just easier it's little, to drive. It's a little bit too heavy. You yeah. know? And I've, I've, I've driven you know manual steering cars that are, are great, but the 964, for me, wasn't great i'd rather have power steering it's yeah, amazing what tire size does on the front because yeah. mm-hmm. my 914 uh you know i had the 165 sr15s which were skinny tires and it almost felt like over boosted power steering even though it was all manual mm-hmm. but yeah. now I, I switched up to 195 65s and it has a bigger rubber footprint and now it's a lot heavier you lose that nimbleness of the uh, skinny tires because you have more, resistance. more grip yeah yeah yeah. Grip. yeah and and these were either 205 or 225 50 so you know considerably more of a, a contact patch up front but uh yeah you know we got about a half an hour in each car and it was just sublime so was it all just on road no track no track time no tracks, just uh, a lot of uh, roads to the Black Forest, um, you know, probably, I don't know, an hour or so from, from Stuttgart. Sounds like a terrible track. I know. What an yeah, assignment. I mean, it was. What an awful you know, assignment. It was. I mean, I, 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 I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to, to 
to, you know, hand the strip off to somebody else in the worst way, but nobody <laughs> else was available. So I had to do it. So, so speaking of, you know, cool assignments, Damon's got a cool assignment coming up. You want to share with folks? Yeah. So after parade, um, a day after I get back from parade, I'm heading out to Goodwood and the Festival of Speed. And I'll be there with one of our panorama and web contributors, Laura Burstein. And we'll be walking around getting paddock interviews, but also covering um, some cars that I know that Porsche will be bringing. Um, pretty special cars. So um, I see you grinning. Yes, yeah, exactly. because you can't say. I actually don't know exactly if if, if Porsches embargoed any of this stuff or not. So I'm not going to say. Yes, let's exactly not, what they are. But there's not some pretty cool trouble. stuff at Goodwood this year. But just, I mean, I've seen obviously YouTube videos of Goodwood. Like that's a bucket list place to go. So yep. make sure you capture everything because oh, I'm going to yeah. be living vicariously through your lens. Yep, we'll do. So Damon, what what outfit are you going to wear? Uh, what I'm wearing right now. Oh, okay. But it, this, 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 uh, this isn't the revival Goodwood. This is, yeah, the, uh, this is the regular one. So I, I probably need to be sure that I have like, what, three or four days of reasonably nice clothes. But yeah, um, Absolutely. Yeah. You're representing our, friend, PCA, our friend Rob uh, has gone to Goodwood Revival, and that's where um, you dress up. You dress and, up and, oh, man. Right. That's, it's not totally. my thing. That's yeah, you would be in heaven. I would be in heaven. <laughs> so, <laughs> shoot, play dress up, of course. You don't. Uh, you don't get to wear your Pan Am outfit. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Let's talk about uh, our one mile, our recent one mile reviews of our buddies' cars. That that was you reviewing. We uh, that's true. I had to entertain the the owner of the cars. <laughs> Yeah, so this is what people don't nervous. realize. So it is a short video. It is only about one mile that we drive this. But how long did it take for us to do these two? Uh, two cars? Two and a half hours almost. Yeah. So we were out there at what? One o'clock or one thirty, and ended it. So it just makes you appreciate those yeah. that are in the uh, movie business or even commercial business that how much footage you have to take because you only have really one chance at getting it right and then making sure that you have enough though. So when you're going back and editing... Yep. You know, multiple takes, multiple angles. And if you've talked about a lug nut, that you have a picture that goes with the lug nut and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think uh, our my buddy Peter was <laughs> realized how long. Yeah, he kept we, on saying it. I didn't realize oh, it took this long. Yeah, we're just going to strap a, a couple of GoPros on, go for a drive, and that's it. You'd think it would take 15, 20 minutes, yeah. right? But no. Nope. He uh, got to drive a uh, uh, 718 Spider hmm. and a uh, GT2 RS. Oh, fantastic. What year? Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. 2018. Fantastic. 2018 and a 2020. Yeah. And man. I'm that's the sure. only that's I'm only a GT2 of the RS moniker, right? No. Because before they were called GT2s. No, there was an RS a, 997. An R, yeah. 2011. Hmm. Yep. There was the an 08. right? Yep. There was an 08 GT2. Right. Which was no, well, was it wide body or? It, well, it wasn't as powerful or yeah. anything. And it had the six-speed manual. and But then the RS came out and it was 620 yeah. and... This is the this one was almost uh, docile, I guess you could say. It's mm. it's it's amazing. I mean, not to give away the all the whole review, but both of the cars were amazing. So easy to drive, mm -hmm. and I think that's what Porsche excels in. It's like it even even the Spider, I consider it quite exotic for what it the capabilities that it has. But yet at the same time, you could take both of those cars and go to the grocery store. And, you know, especially with a, a PDK car, if you had someone in your family that couldn't drive a manual, anyone can drive that car. And it's crazy how much power is on tap 
And when it flings you back into the seat when you go on that go-go pedal, it's like, oh. Yeah, I over over, se- over seven hundred horsepower, and you could literally horsepower. use it as a daily driver. Oh yeah, if you and will. you sit in traffic. It's incredible. I mean, it just and it just goes and it sticks. And yeah. um, you know the 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 GT two is absurd, especially for the street. And I'll kind of leave it at that. The seven eighteen Spider, that's got to be one of my favorite modern Porsches right now. I mean it. It does everything so well, looks good. Um, I love the rev matching because it makes me feel like I'm a better driver than I am. (laughs) The only thing I would expect on that car, if it was me, was the sport buckets. Uh, So, on the Spider? Mm -hmm. The Spider had sport buckets. I thought it had the... uh, No. Sofa seats? Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure they did. <laughs> Let me check the footage. I, I, I felt that way when I said it. I remember thinking to myself, I would have gotten sport buckets. I'm pretty sure they both did. What kind of reviewer are you that you can't remember? <laughs> what I, I was just, and here's here's the hard part is I think the GT2 RS had it. The GT2 definitely had it. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, they were so phenomenal. Yeah, it had the buckets for sure. See, oh, yep. see, both cars were so phenomenal, and you. A mile. Come on. Like, that goes by so quickly, right? So, like, the first 30 seconds, I'm, like, speechless because these cars are so amazing. I'm like, oh, crap. I got right. I got to say about something this. about right. it. I'm like, I'm enjoying the ride so much. Like, I forgot. And actually, I came back and did another loop yeah. because I'm like, no, this time around, I'll actually talk because it's like. Ugh. This is why it takes two and a half hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah, are, right. Like, you're just overwhelmed at how awesome these cars are. So, I'm, I'm back at the uh, location entertaining the owner and uh, we're talking about that he's like complaining because his oil change light has come on and he's only put like uh 60 miles 60 miles on it since the last oil change and he's asking me is it really necessary he said the oil looks fine and i'm like yeah peter you bought a I said, you're asking me if you just bought a thor- thoroughbred horse. Right. And you want to know if you can feed it leftovers. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> because if you, if you buy the special feed, it's pretty expensive. Right. I'm yeah. like, what's the price of an oil change? It's uh, can't be that much for this kind of a machine. I said, here the engineers of Wysock have developed this machine that really shouldn't be straight legal. And you want to try to extend the oil for another year because you don't want to spend 80 bucks. Well, I think the one well, that you was... could tell him to drive it a little bit more. Well, that's, that's at least he'll get his money out of the oil that's change, a, right? You know, every, everybody's circumstances are different and why yeah. they buy cars. And I know he truly, he's, he, he, he reads up on Porsche. He follows everything he's on. He lurks on the, the, the forums and stuff like that. And he's a true, true enthusiast. He just doesn't have the time or, or by the time he gets the cars out or it's bad weather or stuff like that. So for whatever reason, he doesn't drive it as much as we all think he should, but he loves the cars. And what, what the, the, the oil change wasn't really the one that kind of threw him for, for through that conversation. It was, it was the fact that the spark plugs were timed out and, oh, wow. and oil and oil changes and, and oil changes, <laughs> you know, relatively speaking to the cost car is not that expensive. Right. Um, but a spark plug change is a more yeah. considerable, you know, uh, no question operation. And, uh, he was like, I had, I have like, I think that car had 1500 miles or 1700 mm. miles, but they timed out. And I'm yeah. like, Peter, you bought like, as Manny said, you bought this third, but you've got to follow the recommended guidelines even. And it's your fault 
for not driving it. And he's, I know, I know. <laughs> do spark plugs time out for just like those high, higher performance cars like GT2RS or do all Porsche spark plugs? Porsche spark has, plugs uh, they have time and distance oh. sort of classifications. Yeah. And so that's what VU means by timing out. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there's there's nothing wrong ultimately with the plug, but yeah, every yeah. four years they're saying years. change this. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and you know what? They There's 50 guys sitting around Trying to figure out when you change a spark plug, I'd probably take their word for it. Yeah, gotcha. and, and and if you ever go to sell it, like you don't want to be, oh, why didn't you? T- why didn't you follow the recommended service schedule? Right. I'm like Peter, you gotta follow it. You just gotta follow it. Yeah. Speaking of spark plugs, we did a spark plug video on a Macan S, and um, everything was going relatively smoothly. We're buttoning things up. I think Manny and I even left. Yep. And you were back with uh, yeah. Anthony, and at the end, you got a little surprise. Yeah, he yeah. said, I didn't leave till 6.30. I'm like, really? I like, <laughs> yeah, thought so, you guys were done at 3.30. So brand new Bosch spark plugs. Uh, we did the job um, correctly. We had asked uh, one of our tech experts, Peter Smith, a, a Goldmeister tech, you know, what to do and for tips and torques and everything. Zipped the car up, turned it on, and... It throws a couple, I think it's the all-wheel drive light and the PASM light, which went off just fine, but then the check engine light came on. He gave it a couple blips, and there was obviously a misfire. You hmm. totally hear it. We're thinking, oh, man, like, this is horrible. They're going on a trip tomorrow in the Macan S, you know, and, like, we don't know where. And it's a simple is. spark plug swap. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was. So so Anthony got out his tester, and I called Peter, and he said, you know, and Peter said, you know, the, the spark plug, it's not unheard of for brand new spark plugs for the porcelain to break, so you might check that. So we saw that the misfire was the number six cylinder, so the one that's closest to the driver. Um, and when we pulled it out and compared it to the other ones, it didn't look bad. But if you if you grab the porcelain on the back, you could twist it. Oh, and then yeah. it just kind of snapped off just with almost no effort. And obviously the ones we had taken out. Brand new plugs. Yeah, right. brand new plugs. One of them was bad. Always check your equipment or your parts before they go in. We didn't check. Could have been a lot worse, but we caught it, put in one old plug and he'll go back and And that that's the thing that. is you watch a lot of video how to videos and uh, and Manny's, you know, adamant about making our how to uh videos more realistic because you watch all these videos and if it was in this case a spark plug change it, everything went fine. All, all, every, every coil pack pulled off with ease, sure. and da 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 yeah. da. But the reality is, it you know most of us will do this right before a trip, yeah. <laughs> and then you find out you can't pull a coil pack or uh, something like this cracks, and then you kind of hate working on the car because you didn't anticipate that. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is give you footage of you know how how much effort it really can take. And if it's easier for you, then that's great. But at least this might be your worst case scenario. Yeah, really look at any, if you're doing your work on your car, look, look at all the parts because, you know, I never really had many problems. But when I did all the work on my um, my own Cayman, the water pump and thermostat, the thermostat that Borg Warner had sent, the one of the, uh, the springs was upside down. Oh. And so if I put that into the car, it probably wouldn't have worked correctly or worked at all. And, you know, how do you figure that out once the car zipped up if you didn't? check right so yeah. always check your parts the fact that two things like that have happened in the past five or six months tells me that it's probably a little more common than you might think yeah so if you're working on your own car and buying yeah. parts check the parts before yeah. you install and that may sound very simple but keep I your guess, old parts yeah, yeah. we assume okay. buying new parts are just going to be plug and play but mm-hmm. 
you know, quality issues these days or how difficult things are to get and parts get swapped in a box or something like that. Like, yeah, check we're, your get, we're getting a lot of that, boo. Um, At the so, shop? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I run a Porsche-only shop. And even from Porsche, I mean, we're getting just parts that come in and, you know, the, uh, the O-ring will be not quite seated or a screw won't be quite, quite tight. Um, I think there's just a lot of that going on around the world right now. Yeah. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, Damon, it's yeah, beware. It's, not, it's yeah, it's not Bosch, and it's yeah. it's just everybody. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. having exactly. It's a hard time. Yeah. Yep. Your your water pumps are holding up, Rob. Uh, uh, so sensitive far, so topic good. alert. Sensitive and, topic alert. Yeah, <laughs> no, we no, did a good no, job. No, with the that. more sensitive topic is the kind of janky um, oil fill tube <laughs> repair that we made. You know, uh, you guys don't know about this. Uh oh, what happened? We're not seeing that car <laughs> soon. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not laughing at you, Rob. I'm trying to laugh with you. <laughs> He's not it wasn't laughing. all that funny at the time. I mean, I understand that the uh, um, the customer service people had to uh, basically mute their phones because <laughs> I was cursing so loud. <laughs> Manny's like, what's going on? No, all right, why don't you share with us your latest update on your 996? The latest update? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, so far so good. Um, uh, I think I put 5,000 miles on it. Uh, I've put a quarter of a quart of oil in it. Uh, the water pump repair that we did about a month ago is, you know, holding up just fine, you know, kind of, uh, status quo. That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no news, <laughs> no bad news. You'll find out more later. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Let's go. Let's go. So let's talk about you, Bob, being the poster child for PCA. And what I mean about that oh, is good Lord. before, <laughs> before 1986, 87, I believe you bought an 87, 944. Yeah. You were just unaware of the Porsche world, right? And, and, and racing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually somewhat embarrassing when you look back, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my first car was an 86, uh, 944 turbo. And um, I, I told you guys before, uh, I have uh, a good friend uh, is responsible for all of this mess that I got into in terms of racing and, and all, the, all the things that came after. But um, I, I didn't follow racing. I knew nothing about racing. Um, stepped onto the racetrack at a driver's ed at 28. And by 35, was in a pro series and won Rookie of the Year against some 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds. That's awesome. So, you know, I was the old guy. Um, but I told Vu and Manny and Damon, so the very first race in World Challenge at Texas World Speedway, um, I, I was the top rookie somehow. I guess everybody else fell out. But um, the cameras came up, World Challenge, and they said, Bob Miller, isn't this crazy? You're, you know, your first race, you're the top rookie. What's it like being on the racetrack with a legend like Derek Bell? And I, I quite literally, and Derek, Derek will affirm this. I looked at the camera and I said, who? <laughs> and, and the guy behind the camera just looked at me. He didn't know what to say. And, and so I said, um, I, I think it was probably great. Which car was he in? Right. And that was sort of the end of the interview because they didn't even know what to say to this idiot rookie <laughs> who had, uh, has, was out there with, uh, it's like a Kimmy Reichen oh, answer. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. <laughs> but the story ends well because you and Derek are close. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we went on and, um, I, I again, 
have no idea how. But I secured the uh, Volvo North America race program, the Pro Race program. And so we built prototypes for Volvo. And I had talked to Derek uh, in 2002, and I told him, listen, I'm going after some factory programs. And you could hear the, the, the snicker in the background, like, yeah, good luck, Miller. Um, and I said, if I get one of these, DB, will you drive with me? And I think he just said yes, because he figured, what are the odds of it yeah, happening? one in a million, yeah. like, this, this guy's not going to have it. Anyway, we got the, at Speed Motorsports, got the Volvo North America race program. And I called Derek and I said, all right, I've got a factory program. Um, you need to be XYZ at XYZ time. And he said, What? <laughs> and and I said uh, we're racing Volvos. He said Bob Volvos. <laughs> he said Jesus Christ. And and so I I said uh, Derek, we're gonna build Volvos. We're gonna run Cosworth engines, extract transmissions, and so then you could see the light bulb go off mm -hmm. on his his uh, his eyes. And he drove for the Atspe team for a year and a half. That's he did awesome. he did That's a so lot cool. of the development testing with me and. Um, to this day, we're we're great friends because we were sort of down in this mud pit together. And Derek Bell, you know, world famous. And then who's this guy, Bob Miller, with him? <laughs> um, but we pulled it off. We gave Volvo their first North America race win uh, oh, wow. in a pro level. That's awesome. So, so one of the things in PCA that I admire and I talk about a lot is we could be at a table at any PCA event and... You know, one person could be driving whatever car, another person driving another car. And we would talk about each other's cars, but we don't really know what any of us does. Obviously, those of us that work for PCA, right. you know, people know. But, like, I don't know, like, before you're, you know, coming into the PCA and Porsche world. And, like, where did you get the business acumen to, you know, you started driving. Now you like driving. You want to go after a race team. Like, what were you doing at that time? Before you went into this, because all I know, I, I've met you, you know, probably at least a decade or so. And I just know you as Bob Miller at speed. Like, I just knew you from that side. But sure. you had to start somewhere before that. You know, it's funny because um, Manny and I talked about this. Um, we've known each other forever. And uh, nobody talks about anything but cars. Yes. It's um, awesome. <laughs> it, it's true. But in club racing, um, you know, and I started as you said, I'm a poster child here. I literally started in driver's ed, went to club racing, and we would race against guys all weekend long. I mean, these were CEOs of XYZ mm -hmm. and presidents of this and that, and nobody knew anything. We had no idea what you did outside of this event. And, um, you know, all we talked about all weekend long was racing in cars. So um, we'd go out to dinner. Yeah, right. Literally. And you still never talk about it. We still never talk yeah, about it. Nothing, literally. <laughs> but uh, I am curious, like, what set you up to be successful in finding a program like that? All right, that? well, so um, my background, I, I came out of William & Mary, and then I went into uh, boutique strategic planning consulting. Oh. Um, it tells you nothing. What is yeah. what's the, <laughs> the consultant answer? Yeah, yeah what, it, what it meant <laughs> is that I knew nothing, and I charged a lot to say <laughs> not much. Um and so, I mean, I helped companies um, develop products and uh, market products. Uh, we did a lot of competitive analysis, um, acquisition analysis, where a company is going to go in and buy another company. 
Um, I remember being this snot-nosed kid, about 26, going up to uh, Kennemental in Pennsylvania. And they had a $105 million division. And the president, you know, looked at me and he said, you know, Bob, what should we do? And all the numbers said, this thing's going to go out of business. And I, I literally stood there. I'm 26 years old. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, John, this is not a viable long-term business. And it probably needs to be shut down. Um, two years later, Ken Metal was out of that business. They wow. divested themselves and they were done. But um, that gave me a, a sense for business. And then I started my own consulting firm with uh, three other guys. But as soon as I stepped onto the racetrack, it was just a, this drug that I, I loved. I enjoyed the people. I loved the excitement. Um, so I took all that business stuff. And when I presented to companies, I didn't talk about racing. Mm -hmm. I talked about the business of racing mm -hmm. and how they are going to expand their business through this marketing channel. So Volvo loved it. Did um, Derek Bell know that that was your background when you approached him? Yeah, DB did. Yeah. He, he, uh, he and I are on LinkedIn and he gives me a lot of kudos for, you know, marketing and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Because he's like, if this guy out of nowhere can come up with Volvo, literally, <laughs> if he can do it, <laughs> literally out of nowhere. And so uh, I remember he were driving along once and he looked at me, he goes, Miller, you are actually a, an international force in motorsports. And I said, DB, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and I mean, I seriously knew nothing, nothing yeah. about motorsports. I, I didn't, I didn't watch racing when I was a little kid. Um, my dad owned a Volvo that had 350,000 miles. <laughs> I didn't have nice cars, nothing. So it, it was, um, it was out of pure business that it happened. It was a good decision yeah. for Volvo. Yeah. Um, and it, it actually, it gave me the chance to get to know a legend like Derek Bell. Um, I mean, Randy Popes drove for me, Michael Galati, just amazing guys that, that uh, from some streak of luck, I, I got to hang out with. I always thought the previous sponsor. Rogaine? Rogaine. It was yeah. even funnier because I swear half the crew was oh, we, balding. Yeah, we were all. <laughs> they, they gave me gallons of that stuff. And I'm telling you what, it, it did not work. And it's worked out well yeah, for yeah. you. Polished the car real nice. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, the, the funny thing when I went and presented to Pharmacia, so Pharmacia owned Rogaine, but I had done the U.S. introduction study for Upjohn on Minoxidil, the Minoxidil, um, you know, brand, product, yeah. brand, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I knew more about the efficacy of Rogaine than its product manager did. So I'm sitting in this, this meeting with the president of Pharmacia, and I am chatting all about like the technical studies and, you know, the, the various different medical studies and how the, the, uh, the molecule protects the, uh, you know, the male hormone from bonding to the, the, the hair follicle. And the president looks over at me, he goes, Jesus Christ are you a, a business consultant or are you a race car driver? <laughs> and uh, I, I said, I pretend to be a race car driver, but this is all about business. Yeah. And so they loved it. And we did the Rogaine racing uh, or hair raising pass of the day. We had Manny <laughs> as one of our flag girls. Um, I mean, we had wine.com with us and we would put on, you know, wine tasting at the events. It, it was a ball, um, but it was all about business. But that the business presented opportunities, obviously, for you. 
And I'm going to change gears a little bit because you were around the industry, you're around racing and motorsports. You started buying cars and not only just to race them, but you have an eye for picking up cars and maybe resurrecting them or preserving them for a later date sale. And I think that's what we're kind of interested in is your, your current collection of cars and how you kind of got there. Um, and again, I wouldn't say I'm a, a huge car collector because there are, there are guys in the world. We were talking about a bunch of them on the mm -hmm. way up here that have just massive, incredible car collections. Um, I've been lucky enough to, um, uh, go into massive debt and buy, <laughs> and buy a bunch of, uh, various different cars, um, and, uh, sell to me is a four letter word. So yeah. I, once I get something, I generally, for whatever reason, I don't sell it. I know how and, you feel, my yeah. friend. I know how you feel. Well, and you know, <laughs> if you, if you hold a Suzuki, uh, sidekick, my, a sidekick for 50 years, you know, it, it's worth a ton of money no. because nobody else took care of it. So, but, um, yeah, I, I've got a, a number of cars and in my business, which is taking care of Porsche and then also importing and exporting uh, collector level Porsches. If I don't have cars, it would sort of be strange. So um, I always tell Manny, it's like I'm a, um, you know, I'm an art dealer. These are pieces of art. They're investments. And I get to work around some of the most beautiful art in the world. It's incredible what Porsche has done for all these years. And when you look at, at the perfection of a Porsche, uh, it's just amazing. So yes, well, I, I have a I have an okay collection. So on the way up, you told us uh, you have my favorite car of the nine sixty fours, the uh, one we did an article on in Panorama, uh, the nine sixty four C four lightweight. Yes, which most people don't know what it is. And in the article, you know, I write how you took it to Cars and Coffee, right. and everyone walked by it, and I'm I'm just incredulous because I'm thinking. This will be the rarest Porsche you probably ever seen in your life. Yeah, yeah. And you're walking by it, uh, thinking it's just a regular 964 that somebody stripped out the interior. Yeah. And so that's what what prompted us to do an article to really tell the story about what uh, what this car really was and how significant it was and how rare it is to see one in person. Um, but you're going to put that up for sale now. I am. Um, and again, sell is a four letter word, but. Um... So the C4 Lightweight, Manny of I and I are huge fans of. Uh, there's a couple of us in the world, maybe three. And so um, uh, the C4 Lightweight, if you didn't read the article, it's one of 22 ever built. Um, and it was built by Jürgen Barth, sort of his brainchild from um, late 1989 to 1991. So I have uh, number 015, which is the only black car that was ever produced out of those 22. And um, I've tracked these cars for a lot of years, always wanted to to experience one. But as you say, I mean, you don't go down to your buddy's garage and say, hey, can I drive your C4 Lightweight? Be <laughs> yeah. Because they don't exist. Right. There may be, you know, three to five in the United States. So um, I knew the previous owner, Aaron, um, and I was out at a, an auction um, just hanging out, a real, uh, not intending to do anything. I knew what the reserve was on the car. 
And they opened the bidding and they said the reserve has been lifted on this car. What, y- what year was this? This is uh, 2019 out in Monterey. Oh, okay. At, at the RM. So not auction. too long ago. No. And um, they lifted the reserve. Um, Bob Miller's hand went up somehow. I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, this car has been with me ever since. So it's uh, it's an amazing car. It's uh, it's technology that doesn't appear in any other Porsche. Um, it's, uh, it's incredibly visceral to drive. It's a factory race car Mm -hmm. and mine's the only one in the world with a street title. So I get to go to cars and coffee and hang out and Manny and I just stand there drinking coffee while everybody walks by (laughs) literally the rarest Porsche they'll ever run into. So So, one of the things that people always mess up on is they'll say, a C4 has 959 uh, running gear. Right. It does not. It does not. It does not. Yeah. But the C4 lightweight does. They actually pilfered the uh, parts bin because they're do- building this in Wysock, right. which is not a manufacturing facility. So they're in this shop literally building one by one by one by one. And they're just getting parts because, remember, Porsche's heading towards the road of bankruptcy. Sure. They're doing terrible. So here's Jurgen Barth working with his little team building these cars for a series they think is going to happen. And, and the amazing uh, thing is, so, I mean, the paint meter guys are going to go ballistic over this. So the, the uh, assemblers took these cars outside, out back, Vysock, and painted them. Just, all right, we're right outside. 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 From a body in white. Body in white, wow. by hand, painting these cars. They're not painters. Yeah. And so. They're race know, cars. They're race cars. They don't care. Porsche yeah. is looking at this. They're going to sell these darn things. Get them out the door. But um, these weren't done anything but by hand. So in 2019, the market was strong back then. Mm-hmm. But you bought this car because you're passionate about it. And you knew how rare. You knew everything about this car. You probably didn't predict what the market has come today, um, especially for that car. I mean, you're in the business of buying and selling cars. So, I, 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 so at some level, you were hoping that at some day you'll sell that. Sure. But did you would think it would come this quick? Uh, Vu, honestly, I... I don't buy cars that go into my collection. I don't buy them to sell. So I buy them because I love them. Mm, um, and I, I want to drive them and enjoy them. And um, I don't like to lose money. So I have various different boxes that generally they would check. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this one was, I tracked C4 lightweights for 20 years. And um, this one came up. Um I might have had a vodka and uh, decided it <laughs> they was... They hand them out at the auction. There you for a go, reason. right. I decided yeah. it was a good idea at the time. Um, it's uh, it's something that I've enjoyed. I've had the experience, and I'd, I'd like to move it to the next guy to have an experience. I remember going to Summit Point, and I think it was a club race, and you had a 993 cup car literally still in the wrapping, and you had like parts of it in the plastic bags and I believe it was for sale at that time. Is that another one of those cars where you kind of came into and you knew that you had to preserve it? Um, Well, we were talking about this on the way up. So in 1998, Porsche was switching over from the air-cooled cars to the 996 GT3 Cup. And um, Porsche, if anybody remembers this, back in Panorama, Porsche ran an ad and it said, limited number of factory race cars available. So what the heck? I read the pano uh-huh. and I had nothing else to do that day. <laughs> so I called Porsche Motorsport and Bob Russo at the time was the, the guy who 
uh, interfaced with customers. And he said, yeah, we've got six 993 cups that are brand new. Those have never been raced because the teams have moved on to the 99, I'm sorry, yeah, six 993s. The teams have moved moved on to 996s. So I said, I talked to my wife at the time, and I said, so if we go into even more debt, we could potentially buy this thing. (laughs) And my ex-wife was fantastic that way. She said, let's go. So off we went into more debt. I put down, I sent $25,000 out on a car I had never seen before. I had no idea what these cars were. I'm sending money into the the ether. (laughs) And so um, I got a single piece of paper back that said, we got your 25K, thanks. We'll let you know. And, you know, I'm sweating bullets. So uh, about two months later, uh, I get a call. And they said, okay, we need the rest of the money. Mm. I said, well, where's the car? Well, it's not, it hasn't shipped yet, but you've got to pay for the car before the darn thing <laughs> comes over. And I'm like, well, how does that work? So anyway, I sent off the money. This car flies into Dulles. We pick it up. It has seven kilometers on wow. it. So Jurgen Barth at the time was the test driver for all the race cars. So this is a car that only Jurgen Barth and I ever drove and never let anybody drive the car. And it was all original. I club raced it, and, and that's what started the sickness. Um, and it just got better from there because if you've never been in a Porsche factory race car, there's nothing better to race. All they're meant to do is race, and they're absolutely amazing. And you two were reminiscing about your club race days, and and you're part. You're good at being a pain in the behind. Oh, I'm a pain. Yeah, I can. That's <laughs> you for can sure. be a, a good pain in the behind. But yeah. in this case, it was to to fight for a special class in club racing. But with the, I guess, the, the, the factory cup cars program coming available, right. like, it kind of changed the atmosphere. Yeah, I remember in, in 1998, um, Porsche Club Racing was not what it is today. It's massive today, um, you know, with coaches and, and tractor trailers and spare engines and all kinds of stuff. Back then, I mean, Manny and I, in general, would drive to the track in our cars um, now a, a factory race car, you can't do that. But, um, so we went into all this debt and I realized I have no more money to spend <laughs> on this car. And back then all the factory cars were dumped into a class called GT2 and GT2 would be 993 RSRs. It would, could be anything that you made. It could be those factory cup cars. And I realized real quickly, there's no way to win in GT2 with a cup car. So I conjured up this idea and went to all the cup car guys and said, hey, guys, what if we had our own class and we don't have to do anything to the car? We don't have to upgrade it to RSR engine or put on adjustable Motons or whatever. And, of course, everybody loved that. And so I I got about 45 of us together, and I went to uh, club racing. I said, look, here's what we want to do. We want to save these cars. Don't, Mm -hmm. Don't bastardize them. And that was the beginning of GTC, GT Cup class in, in um, club racing. And I think it's the, the biggest sort of um, grouping within club racing to this day. And but th- didn't you also, just occur to me, oh boy. didn't you also convince them for one year oh, to right. let you run the cup cars in the street class? Yeah. So, like, I, I ran my 964 what? in what was right. called the oh, le- yeah. letter class, which is... Street class. So you had to run street tires. You couldn't run slicks. Oh boy! He convinced them that these cars were legal, street legal, 
in parts in some countries in Europe. This mm-hmm. is a cup card, not the RS. Right. So he was that gray line of what a Carrera RS. That's the basis for the cup card. Right. Right. But he convinced him that the cup card was really a street legal car in Europe. Thus, it should run in the, the letter classes for PCA, and it would use street tires. So and yeah, what, so we, we're out there with factory cup, cup cars <laughs> on street tires. So there were a couple of us that that jumped into that. So we ran in Group B, um, and I put on Pirelli something uh, street tires, and we convinced them that this was in fact a Carrera RS Club Sport. It it was not. It was a factory cup car. The truth and, comes uh, out. Oh, How many yeah. years later? Oh, it's it was terrible. So so at summit point. Uh, a couple of us with the cup cars, it rained during qualifying. We said, the heck with this. And so we all started last. And we went, literally went through the field and lapped it. And then we ended up one, two, three. Oh. And that was the end of our our <laughs> saying that, you know, these yeah, were these street are, cars. These are street cars. Right. So. But that's, you know, that's what I love also about PCA. Like there's things that we've done for a long period of time. That's our tradition. But if someone brings up a potential idea... Like they're open to changing things. Of course, they're going to reassess it if what you brought up ultimately didn't make sense. Sure. But um, you know that's what's uh, in any any program in, in PCA is, is is like that. It's a, it's about making sure that we you know respect our traditions, but then also work towards making new traditions in PCA and and growing the club. Well, I mean, the amazing thing is the number of of really not that that I'm in this class, but a number of really top level drivers that have come out of PCA club race. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike Levitas started in PCA club race. Lee Keen. Lee Keen started in, um, Randy Pope started mm-hmm. in PCA club race. And now Dimitri Demakos. There you go. Right, yeah. right. And so it just sort of tells you the level of, of, uh, instruction in, in racing, in, uh, learning and, and everything that PCA club racing provides. It's amazing. So from there, talking about folks that really drive their Porsches or drive their cars, we're going to switch into some Porsche news. And the, the first link that uh, Manny chose is not, I don't consider this driving. I think it's fantastic for views and social media. And um, Manny, the, the, the first link video, the Turbo S versus the Model X Plaid. That's crazy. Well, it, was, it had six people in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is, if you haven't watched it, it's a, it's a race against a 992 Turbo S versus a Model uh, X with six passengers in it. Uh, I think the the um, the creator is Drag Times, a famous YouTuber. And uh, they go head to head. And yes, the, uh, the Tesla Model X with six passengers. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but it was a very close race. Well, you know, I mean, I, I looked at the title and I knew who who won, right? Um, because uh, electric cars are faster. Yeah, it's just, but you know, it's. Uh, I always say, who who's really the winner? One guy goes home in a Turbo S. <laughs> No, right. right. <laughs> stop there, so we don't get I'll take email. second place stop anytime. Stop. <laughs> stop there, but really, it's you know, pressing on the gas pedal to me is not driving right it's 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 the choreography between the clutch or in a lot of cases now with most cars is between the brake and the gas and getting your car around the corner momentum driving like that's really driving 
Is it fun to experience a zero to 60 or zero to 100 and do a quarter mile in nine seconds? Yes, that is exhilarating. But that's kind of like a one trick pony. And you're not, that's the machine. Mostly right. the machine doing right. all that. You're not driving. I would never right? want to do drag racing because there's so much stress. And, and you have to do everything just perfectly on that launch. Yeah. You know, uh, or driving on the racetrack. If you mess up a corner... Odds are someone else is going to mess up a corner and you can make it up. Well, you yep. got 10 more corners to exactly. go. Right. But the drag racing, that first like, half second, the reaction time and oh, yeah. every, I mean, it's like the, that's a, to me very stressful to, uh, yeah, and, to nail it perfectly. And that's why autocross is stressful too. Yeah. yeah at least autocross, <laughs> you maybe have a minute. That's stressful you, got a full you can't minute, make right? any mistakes yeah. if you plan to win. Yeah, I, I couldn't stand the pressure in autocross. I did it once and I said, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> and that's funny. We've talked about this a lot too is, Folks that do a lot of DEs or club race, and uh, sometimes they come to an autocross and they hate it. <laughs> I what? love autocrossing. I love DEs too, but a lot of racers just cannot stand autocrossing. Well, and the amazing thing is the guys, some of the guys that are amazing at autocross stink on the racetrack and vice versa. Yeah. You you would think that you would think all this would transfer. Yeah. It doesn't. But I think... With the Porsche launch control and anyone else has launch control, and that makes you look like a really good drag racer because yeah. you don't really have to modulate the throttle. The computers are doing all yeah, that for you. You're not really driving. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm impressed with the times and the power, but if you're talking about enjoying the drive, that's not driving. You're, yeah. you're literally flicking a switch on and off. Like, go home and flip the light switch, like, quickly. Like, really? I mean, right. that's not driving. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I look at, the, like, that video, and I thought, yeah, electric's faster. There's, I mean, who's arguing that? It's just... Uh, well, the key is, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, is electric power plant. We know the torque. We know the power. But how do you make that fun? And I think Porsche is setting out, because they always do, right? When when the SUV came out, how do you make an SUV fun? When it came out with the sedan, how do you make the sedan fun? They're going to make an electric car that's fun. I, yeah. I believe it 100%. But there's so many electric cars out there. Like People are just saying... Look at my 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 zero to sixty numbers. It's like that 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 causes me to believe that you, my car is amazing. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's really. There's a, so much more. Though. So much more yeah. to driving and enjoying a car. Um, next uh, next news link. Do you guys know about the Jerry Seinfeld lawsuits and what happened recently? I remember that coming up like four or five years ago or something for the first time. Lawsuits. Just, take, yeah, take some I mean time. it was. Crazy. The car was sold at Amelia as part of the the big collection of Seinfeld cars that I think uh, Gooding <laughs> that was sold in we like 2016. Yeah. So, yeah. Rob, Rob, can you give us a quick quick summary of what this lawsuit is all about, being uh, an attorney yourself? Yeah, well, it, to be honest, the details have been pretty sparse. But from my recollection, it was a GSGT, you know, four-cam speedster that Seinfeld sold uh, it at uh, one of the Amelia Island auctions in 2016. It was bought, I think, by a Caribbean-based investment syndicate, something like Fika uh, Fio Limited, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, just kind of a shadowy uh, group of investors <laughs> bought the car. Uh, it had been sold that. to... <laughs> What? I said, don't, well, assume. Knows, don't assume. Nobody knows the people behind it. I didn't say they were shady. So they're shadowy. <laughs> shadowy. <laughs> okay, sorry. Which is a completely you said syndicate. Term. You say syndicate and shadowy. And this is how lawsuits <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The hate it's mail is streaming. Syndicate. Nobody seems to know who is behind it. I chose my words carefully. Thank you. So anyway, um, 
and and nobody, from what I understand, nobody has really come out and said what makes the car inauthentic. Uh, it was sold by a Southern California dealer to Seinfeld with some sort of a COA that Seinfeld relied on. And uh, the, the buyer of the car alleged that it wasn't uh, what it was represented to be. And uh, lawsuits ensued. It's a and beautiful it was, car. I mean, it, it's a gorgeous, yeah, Horatium green, very, very pretty car. Um, but again, uh, the the terms of the settlement and everything are as, uh, you know, are as nebulous as as what the allegations were, uh, as far as the car's inauthenticity. So basically, all we know is that it's been settled. Uh, it's it's behind uh, uh, Seinfeld at this point, and. Heaven knows where the car will pop up again next, and and if we'll ever find out uh, uh, exactly what the allegations of inauthenticity were against the car. Well, I think the moral to the story is even the people that are buying at the top level, you want someone right. like Ba who can recite curb weights <laughs> at a moment's notice and know the details of the cars to be with you to make sure that you are buying what you think it is. Well, Rob, right. I mean to to turn it back on you. I mean, you know the subtle teeny tiny little differences between the two four and the two seven Carrera RS. And so if somebody actually knows those differences, they can replicate those differences. And all of a sudden a nine eleven T two four T that's a hundred grand becomes worth eight hundred and fifty thousand. And it's right. just little small subtle things that uh, you know, whoops, what do you know? Um, just make right. sure, make sure you're not buying a T that's pretending to be an RS. Right. And I've watched people, I mean, obviously, um, you know, guys like you, Bob and, and Nathan Mers have an, an encyclopedic level of, of, uh, recall and knowledge of details that, that most of us will never attain. But I have watched people authenticate cars over the years, probably about 15 years ago. I watched, uh, a guy by the name of Raymond Milo, who since passed away, Look at an Alfa Romeo TZ1, and there are tons of fake TZ1s out there, as, as, as a lot of people know. And Raymond went to this thing like, uh, you know, like like some kind of a champion hunting dog. I mean, just, you know, basically pulled the seat cover off the car to look at the tubular seat frame to look and make sure that it had the proper, uh, you know, coach builders or maker stamps on it. He knew exactly where to look for the things that the fakers didn't know. And, you know, I have nothing but respect for people who have that kind of, of, of a level of knowledge of, of these cars. And, you know, I assume that, that some of that sort of vetting went on with this car. But I'm, I'm in awe of guys like you, Bob, and, and Nathan, and, and Manny, whenever this particular subject comes up. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take myself out of that whole uh, group of people. Um, <laughs> so most, modest. Most, mostly because Manny's in it. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, literally, R Rob, I know a thumbnail about one kind of car. I mean, and it's Porsche. That's it. And the guys I associate with know, like, they know roomfuls about these cars. I, I'm the thumbnail guy. But I appreciate you throwing me in the, the league of Nathan and Manny. It's funny that you say that because I think <laughs> amongst – Everyone at this table, you could probably, amongst your friends and your family, you're probably the go-to person to talk about cars. You're probably the go-to person right. to talk about cars. And then right. when you come into the PCA and the automotive world and you meet people like yourself and Nathan and you go, man, I'm just a toddler. Like I just, my family and friends think I know a whole lot, but I, I've met these people that just have 
way more detail and you're just in awe with the wealth of information that's in your noggin. Yeah, I mean, the, right. the, if there were a, one guy on the planet that, that was sort of my mentor, it would be Dirk Lair. And Dirk has forgotten more <laughs> about Porsche and racing than I quite literally will ever, ever, ever know. He's what, amazing. What's great is uh, the history is still being made. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love uh, Parade, um, Rensport, because I learned things uh, that I we never knew. Like last year when we had Grant at Parade and he did the presentation on the Boxster, a wealth of material that I did not realize in the development of the Boxster we learned about. And, uh, and, and that, I thought, I've never read about this. I've never seen it. And here you have the designer of the Boxster telling us about it, you know, how, uh, what he experienced and what, what, uh, went on when they developed the show car for Detroit. And that's what I love about this uh, hobby is that, uh, Porsche is still literally making history and we don't know it, but we're part yeah, of it. We're, you know, we're, we're living we're it. Living and it. Exactly. That's our mission, right? That's our mission with all the stuff that we're doing with digital media and social media is we are fortunate to be at these events or they're coming to our events and we're trying to capture as much as we can. We appreciate it now, but I can only imagine 20 years from now, 30 years from now, how those people are going to appreciate it that we record. Just imagine if all they're going to the talk about view is your blue hair. <laughs> Remember that time? Remember That's that time? Right. So you, you think you're meeting a smurf, but instead right, right. it's a middle-aged guy who dyed his hair blue. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm yeah. starting to regret yeah. taking this chance. You, you uh, want to get but, your hair dyed, Rob? We can do yeah. it next week. Yeah. Club Blau. Club Blau. I'll bring, I'll bring the tube. Um, all right. no, I, I'm, I prefer the metallic sport classic gray that it, that it is <laughs> sport classic. So to make myself feel better, let's talk about this next link. Uh, one of my favorite shows, Mike Wolf and back in the day when he was with Frank, I think Mike is with his brother. Now American pickers season 23, they come across a very interesting car and we want, we don't want to give away the whole episode, but here's, sure a, here, here's a, you know, you're buying from somebody and they're telling you what they think or what they've been told and they're not trying to mislead you but in this episode you find out some some things about this you know barn find 66 912 yeah well the, the original paint that's the biggest <laughs> my dad issue. my ta- dad <laughs> yeah. loved original things and, you know you're seeing what the cameraman's saying and you're yeah. thinking wow you know this not unheard of, you know. Yeah. Sure, uh, sure. Can it's happen. not like a museum uh, piece, but it certainly could be original paint. It was very straight. Yeah, and so they well, call the, up the, the expert. close-up of the overspray. But they call it the expert, <laughs> and the, the first thing the expert says is, look around the molding, around the windshield, right. the rubber molding. Yeah. And as soon as they do, they see all the overspray. <laughs> you hear the wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but it's like, still such a nice So this car. shouldn't be white? He's like, no. Right, right. That, <laughs> that's that, old, old wax, yeah. right? Yeah. And the fender welting was actually missing between the the uh, you know the front fender and the cowl. That black piece of fender welting was gone. So, I, yeah, they'll that, still they'll do just fine for something that's just an ornament in their their messy garage. You know, they'll they'll still make a good good penny off of that car. Oh, absolutely, I mean, that's a straight looking. I mean, you see yeah. that in cars and coffee a lot, where um, like somebody will have a nine forty four and they're like, yeah, it's all original paint, and my telltale sign on nine forty fours is the uh, bolts for the hatch that are exposed and there's two of them and uh, they rarely get covered oh, when they're yeah. repainted you mean the so black the black the, the they're the, like a uh, like a um goldish colored i guess uh, um, okay right. it's uh, right where the hinges where it mm-hmm. you know, holds the um the, when you lift it up but no one ever covers them and so they paint them body color 
And as soon as I look in, if I see its body color, I'm like, yeah, this is not original. So, paint. so here's what I do. I, and I call it the idiot test. Um, because you know, most of the time that's, that's where I am in the, in the sequence. But <laughs> so you have this quote unquote, all original 944 turbo, right? And it's got 86,000 miles. And you look on the front of the car where every stone is hitting the car. Mm -hmm. There's not a mark on it. Mm. Yeah. And so the idiot test is, well, wait a minute. How the hell did you get to 86,000 miles without running into a single, single rock? Chip, yeah. Not one rock. Well, it's all the original. Black Colgan bra yeah, that was that, on the car. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, just real simple things you can look at. And uh, like your, your expert guy. Just take a look at the molding. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, if they don't peel it back and if they don't really work hard, there's yeah. going to be some overspray. Because there's a, it's a different level when you're doing a glass out respray. A absolutely. And back in the day, most people weren't going to, you know, pay that extra money. Well, for especially that. not nine twelve. I mean, you'd, so you threw it in the barn and then you forgot about it. Exactly. So we probably could go another hour. Uh, I'm going to let Damon give us a quick rundown on recent videos, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, yeah, so we've had a, a, a couple one-mile reviews since our last um, uh, podcast. So we've done a 944 and also a Boxster S, a 987 Boxster S Tiptronic. So go check those out those out on our YouTube channels. Um, one-mile reviews are a weekly video. Uh, we are aiming to drop them every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um Try and make that schedule. I think the last one went out a little bit late uh, due to a technical difficulty. But yeah, every Saturday, check it out. Um, we also have plenty of other videos coming up, such as a 964 windshield replacement, um, water-cooled exhaust sound. So water-cooled six cylinders, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the One Mile Review GT2 RS, the 718 Spider. We've got a lot of content coming up on YouTube. Um, and don't forget to check out PCA.org for the latest news. Awesome. Thanks for that. And I want to thank RJ Powell 5150 who left us a recent five-star comment on the Apple podcast. So thanks for listening. If you're, a, you're not a current PCA member and you own a Porsche, what are you waiting for? Have your VIN handy. Go to PCA.org and sign up. Remember to follow our podcast Instagram page for behind the scenes videos and take a look at my blue hair, maybe Porsche Club Insider, all one word. If you have a message, drop us a line at podcast at PCA.org. Until next time, stay safe and we'll catch you down the road.